Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. I'm so happy today to introduce you to my new friend, Elizabeth Oshwald. Elizabeth is from Illinois, and I first heard her speak on the Joyful Life um, Facebook page on an interview because she's a writer and an entrepreneur and a mother of five. Is that correct? And she's um, seven now. Seven. <laughs> okay. Well, this could go on two hours. <clears throat> you have quite a legacy there. Um, mm-hmm. Could you tell me, Elizabeth, a little bit about your family? And then I want you to share your story with my listeners because I know it's going to be such a great encouragement for them to trust. Yes. God. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to share. Um, yeah, so we have a blended family, Okay. Um, which means, of course, that the journey is nothing like what I thought it would be from the beginning. What do you so mean by that? I, Can you uh, explain a little bit from that? Sure. So I, I got married and went through a divorce. <clears throat> and so kind of what I mean by that is you never really get married anticipating a divorce. You of think course. when you marry someone, it'll be forever, mm-hmm. or you hope it will. Um, How long were so you married? How long were you married? Um, the first time, about seven years. Okay. Um, and then went through a divorce. I had two daughters from my first marriage and then had about three years of singleness before meeting my husband now. And he came with four ki- four children. Wow. Um, from his first marriage. And then we had <clears> since <throat> had uh, one together. So they range in age from 20 down to three. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we magically lined it up girl boy girl boy girl boy wow. girl wow, yeah fun. Mm-hmm. fun can you so just he be... had go ahead. go ahead give us all their names real quick sure the oldest is olivia she came from david and then mason also came from david he's 17 um right now and then my daughter maya is 13 then there's wyatt who came from dave and he's 13 as well, but they're five months apart. And then Jaylee was mine. She's 10. And then Isaac is nine, came from Dave. And then the R's, so yours, mine, and ours. And our youngest is Charlotte, Charlotte Joy. And she is three, and she is definitely the glue that binds us all together. She's so much fun, and um, everyone adores her. She's a little spitfire. when you were talking to me before we started recording, you said you're an entrepreneur. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, yeah. So when, um, when Dave and I got married, I had been in this <laughs> crazy season of single motherhood. And I was very committed to, to being with my daughters as much as I could. In my first marriage, I had been a stay-at-home mom. And obviously, when you're a stay-at-home mom and then you go through a divorce... You have to get a job and find a way to support yourself. And um, all I had at that time was an associate's degree. But I really wanted to still be with my daughters as much as I could. I had started homeschooling the oldest one. Okay. And so I started waitressing on Hmm. weekends. And then I did a home daycare through the week. And then I I nannied. um, And then I started going back to school to finish my bachelor's. But I really, for about the entirety of those three years... Um, <laughs> barely slept. I worked, but I did whatever I could so that I was home during the day with my, with my daughters and was able to continue homeschooling them. And, um, 
just being their primary caregiver. Um, so when I married David and was just graduating um, from the university and um, <clears throat> was able to quit waitressing on the weekends and just his idea was you just need a season of rest and he had a great job and um, a beautiful home out here in the country of central Illinois and he said Wonderful. you just homeschool and just be you know just relax kind of not that it's ever relax at that time six kids <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of downtime still but it was mm -hmm. a lot less worse right. than right so um what I discovered quickly unfortunately was that his amazing income as hard as he worked and as great as his job was we were still barely making ends meet with six children and me mm -hmm. being home I, again, wanted to find something from home. Even though I had this degree, I thought I could go get a job and I could probably find something, but I really just, my heart has always been to be at home. And so um, I just started looking for things I could do. <clears throat> Prior, I had done, oh my goodness, everything I think you could possibly do from home, medical transcription, freelance writing, the home daycare, you know, all those things. Um, but I saw a randomly a Facebook ad and someone was talking about being a kingdom entrepreneur and I thought what does that even mean and so this business mentor was teaching a course on how you could take your passions and your story and mold that into a business where you're serving people but you're actually um, charging for your services and so I started coaching and mentoring single moms and sharing my story of how, you know, the keys that the Lord taught me through that season. I, I started a membership community on Facebook and just kind of poured my heart out and all the things that I had learned the hard way, wow. <laughs> trying to bend time for them. And mm -hmm. from there, it just kind of, you know, with entrepreneurship, you kind of dip your toe in the waters and this whole world opens up of all these possibilities and I'm creative and I love trying new things. And, um, so that was the entry point, but what's evolved from there is I, I discovered again, one of those things that I said I would never do. I discovered network marketing and a friend invited me into the industry. And shortly after that, I was invited into the pre-launch of a company that had been in business for about 10 years just in e-commerce and they were transitioning into um, the social selling model and um, I have absolutely loved it. <laughs> so now that's the main entrepreneur <clears throat> venture that I have is um, and again much, much to my surprise I've always said I want it if I'm going to do something entrepreneurially I want it to be building people and I don't want to be selling products that don't have an eternal impact. I really want to be working with people. But what I found is that coaching women in entrepreneurship, um, talk about legacy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, when you help women step into financial freedom, and especially the single moms who have been in lack and who have stopped dreaming because they thought that poverty and lack was their you know what they just had to settle for hmm. um it's been the most amazing journey to step from that place of barely making it paycheck to paycheck to a place of financial freedom and take that weight off my husband's shoulders um 
you know, I don't think I knew how heavy it was until it was lifted and it's seeing him come alive again Hmm. that, you know, we've got money in the bank and we're able to do things like go on vacation with a family of nine um, that a couple years ago, there was just no way, Hmm. you know, we were just, so I'm very passionate about that because um, inviting people to dream, inviting moms, especially into that place of tapping into the potential that's inside of you, the gifts that are inside of you. Um, you know, if we really believe that anything is possible with God, how differently we live. How differently we live. So, yeah, it's always a matter of belief. I've, mm-hmm. I think we, we live out what we believe. We say we believe something, but then we live a different way. Then we have to examine our beliefs. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to put all your connections in show notes. So if someone is interested in being coached by you, if they're a single mom or they know a single mom, um, they can connect uh, in the show notes as well, Elizabeth. And Absolutely. I'll make sure you send me all those links as well as your business. Happy to support anything like that. Um, I'm passionate about it as well. And um, <clears throat> you mentioned uh, being able to have an eternal impact, which is what this legacy podcast is all about. But you came from a very troubled first marriage. And if you wouldn't mind sharing that, just because I think some of our listeners might be in that right now. That's when I first heard your testimony. And if you could just share um, how God got you out of that, how God um, rescued you, basically, because yeah. I know that's, you're saying about how you're helping the single mom financially, but I know that you help them, first of all, emotionally and spiritually. And it's because mm-hmm. God uses, as it says in Second Corinthians 1, he uses <clears throat> how we've been comforted by him to come alongside another. That's why I'm so passionate about legacy and speaking for that reason. But sometimes we... <clears throat> All of our lives are broken. And uh, so if you could just share uh, about your first marriage a little bit. And then um, and then I really want you to tell your story about how you met David, too, because I think that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so my first marriage, my first husband, we, we were high school sweethearts. We had met. Um, our youth groups were at a youth convention. You know, we went to the same kind of church and we met at a youth convention and um, he was just really cute. <laughs> he was a worship leader. He came from a really strong Christian home wow. and he had just enough <clears throat> of all the things that I thought that I wanted that I then justified and tried to overlook some red flags. Um, I saw them. I oh, knew they were there before you were married even, mm-hmm. Oh, even before we were married. Um, actually, and this isn't something I've shared often, but I don't mind sharing it. We were engaged. Um, he, the first time he proposed, we were very young. I think I was 18. We were engaged and my parents were really uncomfortable with it. They thought I was too young. They wanted me to go off to college. They said, sure. you're, you know, all the things that a parent would say. And so we were engaged and then I ended up calling off the wedding and, um, kind of just ended the relationship pretty abruptly. I just thought this, this isn't, I'm not ready. I need spending more time. I just kind of got that claustrophobic feeling. So he moved away. I moved away. And, and then we were reunited because my grandpa got killed in a car accident and he came to the funeral, the funeral mm-hmm. out of respect. And um, because at that time there were, you know, many miles between us, we started to talk again, but I didn't get a very clear picture of what was really going on in his life. He said, I've rededicated my life to the Lord and I'm in church and I'm, you know, all the things. And I just believed him. And when he would 
come visit, you know, me and my friends, he would stay with, you know, my, my friends that were guys and they didn't seem to have any concerns and they, you know, so anyway, we got engaged, got married. And even right before the wedding, um, I just, and, and he had a history of drinking too much. And right before we got married, I found in his apartment some beer that he had hidden in a closet. And so I went to my mentors, my spiritual parents, and I told them, I said, I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, and of course they said, well, we'll talk to him. You know, we can all sit down. They said, you know, if, if you were our daughter, Elizabeth, then we consider you to be, we would really think about postponing this wedding until you're sure these issues are all ironed out. And at this point I was too invested in the game there, mm-hmm. you know, the wedding was planned. I was, let me interrupt you. It wasn't because of one beer. It was because of uh, an addiction. No. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was, um, there was like a case I think hidden, but it, it wasn't so much the one beer. It was that I knew with him, there was no, there was no such thing as one beer. Ah. Um, and so we addressed it. He said, I'll stop denied that there was anything else going on. Oh. And I found out in that first year of marriage, um, a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of secrets, not just alcohol. There was drugs, there, you know, were other girls. Um, and I was so committed to, um, to him and to the Lord. I thought, um, there's gotta be a way I can love him through this. You know, I kind of had always had this thought that once we get married, that will fix something and whatever is causing him to turn to these things. He won't want to anymore because I will be the solution. You know, God through me was what I thought. So it wasn't so much you were thinking God would love him through you is that he would, you would save him. You were Mm -hmm. kind of acting as his savior. I think that's Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty normal, especially Mm -hmm. when you think of the alternative divorce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, you'd want to put yourself in that position. When did you finally decide that you you couldn't be his savior? Oh man, it was it was you know year after year going around that same mountain, um, and you know when you have when you bring children into the mix, mm. um, what really solidified the decision for me was um, he was getting more violent with his anger. Um, I was becoming more fearful. He, I never feared that he would hurt one of our daughters, but I was starting to fear that he might hurt me. Hmm. Um, and, th- and he did a few times. And looking back, I will be totally transparent with you. I did a lot of things to provoke um, the anger in my um, stubbornness. And, what do you mean? Um. I'm trying to think of an example. I think that it was, I think he felt very mothered by me. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. think that in my desire to, to save him, I put, um, it didn't feel like that to him. <laughs> it felt like I was trying to control him. Mm-hmm. And in his mind, you know, if I loved him, like I said I did, then I would release him to, you know, do whatever drugs or drink, whatever, you know, whatever he wanted to do, he would be free to do. And that was me accepting him as him. Wow. And in my mind, those things are destroying you. 
and they're causing you to be someone who isn't the real you. And so I'm trying to convince you to stop them. And it was just, um, but my delivery wasn't always good. <laughs> and there were times in, in my weariness and exasperation that my saving wasn't always sweet, you know. Um, but ultimately it, it came down to this. I went to a counselor um, and no one knew um, at this point what was going on. We were. That to me is very curious. If you were married uh, seven years, um, mm-hmm. I guess it's because I always like to tell my friends if I'm hurting, mm-hmm. how were you able to keep this to yourself? My parents, I think, were very um, suspicious, mm-hmm. but I was so. Um, I thought that the holy thing to do was to protect my husband and his reputation hmm. at that time. And so I, um, I just didn't tell anyone. I, I wanted so badly for him to become who I thought he could and knew he could become. I thought if anyone knows what he's doing and he finds out that they know, then the shame will keep him from ever repenting and coming into the light. Um, and if, if he knows that the people at church or our friends know what's going on in our home, that'll just be another excuse to keep him away. And it was already starting to be where I would have to go to church by myself and he wouldn't want to go there. Were all, you know, that was already happening. And so I thought if people know what's happening, that will only, you know, push us further in that direction and we'll grow only further apart. Okay. So you were and, kind of trying to save the marriage by not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that was one thing. And I think part of it too, is I was embarrassed. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't want anyone to know Mm -hmm. um, because I, there was shame for me. Of course. Um, So um, I had a friend who stopped by one day um, unannounced. Mm -hmm. She was dropping something off. We were working on a ministry project together and we're mentoring teenage girls Mm -hmm. through this ministry called house of hope. And I was working on some project for her and she dropped something off that I needed to work on whatever I was working on. And we were close enough that she just walked in the house. And I don't even know what it was that she saw or if it was just a a feeling that she picked up on, but she seemed really uncomfortable. Hmm. And shortly after that, she, you know, she just pulled me aside and said, Elizabeth, are you okay? She said it at that time in your house. Not, not, at, no. Oh, okay. Later on. I think, yeah, because he was there. Oh. He was there. So there was something that was either going on in the interaction with he and I, or maybe we had just gotten done arguing. I'm not, I don't remember the details of what or how she felt or why she felt what she did, but something, she, she seemed uncomfortable. And then shortly after that, the next time I saw her, she said, are you okay? Oh, how did you answer? And, um, I think it was just this long pause. I think I didn't even know how or what to say. And, and eventually what came out was, no, I actually don't think I am. Mm -hmm. And just the tears, you know, all those years of holding it in. And she said, um, if you're not safe, if if you're, if you need somewhere to go, you can, you can come to, to my house. You can come into my home and, and we'll help you get on your feet. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's the most ridiculous thing. Why would she even suggest that? And then I decided shortly thereafter to go to a counselor 
because that was someone that didn't know me and love me. I'm thinking this is a friend of mine. She loves me. She's protective of me. Um, so I went to this person and told them all, you know, all the things. Actually, I went to a, it was an abuse shelter because um, it was free <laughs> right. and anonymous. Right. And so I said, I don't know that I'm in an abusive situation, but I just want to tell you what's going on. And you just tell me because I know you're a professional. And so I just spilled everything to this, you know, woman. And she said, Elizabeth, let me ask you this. Um, she said, would you want your daughters to end up with a, a man like the husband that you're married to right now? And I still can't hardly talk about that without, without crying because that was the first time I really saw the, the absolute truth and the light of the situation. Um, I said, no, hmm. no, I would never want that for them. And she said, <clears throat> if you stay with him, this will be their normal and they will. Wow. And so the next day, <laughs> I left. Wow. Wow. And God has redeemed the situation since then so beautifully. Yeah, he really has. How does this relate to your legacy, you think? Hmm. You know, I had a lot more fight in me than I knew. Wow. And... You don't really know the the greatness that God has deposited inside of you until there's a demand put on it. Hmm. And so there was a lot of demand put on me in that season of being a single mom to discover who am I? <laughs> you know, I think I had tied so much of my identity up in becoming a wife, becoming a mom. The, the perfect Christian example for all of everyone to see. And when that all fell apart and came unraveled, then I had to face the, the truth of who is Elizabeth hmm. besides the mom, besides the wife, like, who am I? God, who do you say that I am? Hmm. And it was this whole journey of looking into his eyes and him saying, who do you say that I am? Wow. Cause that's where we have to start. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I like to say that if we had an accurate view of who God was and an accurate view of who we were, that most of the problems of the world would be mitigated. Yes. Because we have to understand how great our God is, which is what you just said in such a beautiful way. But I don't really know how great God is until I need him greatly. <laughs> and yeah. I don't like those, I don't like those situations, but that's when I can actually say, oh, this is who God is really is mm -hmm. but, and um anything else on that as far as legacy your 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 legacy would be i'm sure you thought about this a little bit in um in preparation for today but mm -hmm. uh a lot of women talk about women power these days who don't know god at all and they mm -hmm. march for it and that's you know that's good that's their what they need to do um but what would you say to a, a woman who's in your situation right now uh, in light of what you've experienced that would be helpful to them? Yeah. Um, you know, I asked my husband um, mm -hmm. in going through these questions that you graciously gave me ahead of time to think through. I said, David, what, 
what would you say is the legacy? And I had already kind of written down and journaled through some of my thoughts. Um, And we both had written down the same word. Well, he didn't write it. He just said it. But we had the same word. Um, Freedom. Mm. And, you know, Jesus came to set us free to set us free and even you know for years i've said isaiah 61 is kind of like you know my mission i want to you know proclaim the good news and heal the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captains and all that um but i think the theme throughout my whole story is really about freedom and what does it look like to be truly free um describe the truth Describe that a little bit for us. Yeah. um, Well, you know, the first step into freedom and out of, out of that marriage was seeing the value in myself enough to allow myself to be rescued, not Mm -hmm. thinking that I deserved (laughs) this eternal sentence of I made a wrong choice. I overlooked red flags. I didn't heed wise counsel. Um, and now I'm stuck. You know, I, I, I kind of felt like when you're a Christian and you're, you've made covenant, um, you're stuck for life. You're, you're in it, you know, you, I, I, and I've, I've really believed strongly in those vows. Um, and then I, again, looked in to the eyes of Jesus and saw his love for me and, his heart to see me free, to see me um, in a in a place where I could truly become who he created me to be, which was never gonna happen inside of an abusive marriage. Mm-hmm. I could I didn't have the freedom to even begin to explore or dream what was inside me because I was just surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, as I even talked about entrepreneurship. Um, you know, sharing my story with single moms and even it's expanded to kind of all moms, you know, all moms who are even stay at home moms who are kind of in this rut of surviving and going through the day to day and thinking I have to just accept what is and not ever dreaming about the possibilities of what could be Mm -hmm. Um, really living in a way that my faith is, you know, I'm partnering with these dreams that God's put in my heart, trusting that, um, what's the scriptures that, um, you know, he gives us, I can't think of the reference. Abundantly above all all we can ask or think Ephesians 3. That's a good one. No, it's, that is a good one. Um, the one that says that he gives us the desires of our heart. Oh, you know, not that he gives me everything I desire, but Psalm 37 or something. 37. Yeah. 37, four, I think. But it's, the, it's that my desires are actually from him, the desires themselves. And so I can trust that if I am seeking him and his righteousness, that those desires that are inside me are actually coming from him and they're worth pursuing. And so becoming a woman who will take action and not, I used, this is who I used to be. I used to be, I'm waiting on God. Um, I was very much in that victim mindset of this is just what is, and I just have to accept it. And I, I wasn't proactive and I didn't, it didn't even occur to me that I could change my reality for, for a long time, for years. 
And once that awakening happened and I realized that, you know, the Lord, he wants us to partner with him and to a place of achieving our destinies. It's not something he just drops in your lap. It's something that you have to take action and participate in. Okay. I'm going to, I want you to back up a little bit because I think this can be confusing for, especially for Christians. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some feel like, oh, um, I deserve all this achievement and I don't have Mm -hmm. to work for it because God wants to bless me. And others say, well, I don't need to work at it because God's just going to do it for me. But you said something very significant when you described this in just a couple sentences ago, where you have a faith, your faith partners with your dreams. But what would you say to a woman who comes to you and says, well, I think I'm supposed to do this. I think I'm supposed to write a book or I'm supposed to adopt a child as a single mother or I'm supposed to take this new job or move to New York City. Um, How do I know it's God's will? Mm. What would you say to them? That's a really great question. I think that's there's a lot <laughs> of weight to that answer. When I was in the place of not knowing that I knew that I knew that I knew God's voice, especially coming out of that abusive relationship, you know, my reality wasn't actually reality. I think sometimes we think more than we think we know more than we actually do. And truth becomes this relative concept. And so the first thing I did, actually, even before the divorce, we went through a six-month separation, and I surrounded myself with five women who were my multitude of counselors, mm-hmm. and every decision that I was going to make, I ran it by them. Wow. And they didn't counsel with each other. They didn't collaborate, but I just knew that they all heard from God, and they all had rich histories with the Lord. And so that if he was going to speak one thing to one of them, that he would speak it to all of them because he's Mm. the same. And he was so gracious. He did. He confirmed, um, you know, when I was looking for my first apartment, when I was looking at my first job, um, waitressing at Cracker Barrel (laughs) was where I went. Um, Does this seem like a good move? Does Mm. does this seem right? What, What would you do? What should I go get a corporate job and work nine to five and put the kids in? You know, I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't trust myself. And so I think anytime there's a, a is this God um, going to people, surrounding yourself with people who are wise, surrounding yourself with people who have a history with the Lord. Um, and when you don't trust yourself, make sure you're surrounded with people who you trust that, that know the Lord. And I see this as you almost like a child uh, relearning how to think wisely. God yes. promise, God promises us wisdom. Uh, do I ask enough for it? I just um, wrote my girls and said, even, even if you feel relatively confident in a decision you're about ready to make, please ask the Lord because his wisdom is, be, is beyond ours. And I think even as mature believers, we can just sort of say, oh, well, it worked last time. I'm sure it'll work the same way this mm-hmm. next time. And I forget to... Uh, I don't want God just to come in and and bless his uh, and tack his blessing on my job. Yes, yes. You see what I'm saying here? Where you I do enter into the flow that He's already provided for you, and I just think it's beautiful. I mean, there's so many aspects of your story, Elizabeth, that that blesses people. But one thing I thought of is of you retraining your mind, retraining your mind not only through Scripture because you already knew Scripture, but you didn't know how to. In my this is I'm I may be wrong, but from what you're saying you didn't know how to interpret in terms of who you were and who God was 
where you were healthy. And, uh, and I think that's okay. It's like being sick. Like right now you're just getting over COVID of all things. And we rest and we treat ourselves a little more gently. We surround ourselves with wise counsel, with good vitamins or whatever you're taking. Uh, maybe you're selling them. Who knows? But the, th- the thing of it is, is that God is, um, wants us to hold still. Sometimes it's a forced sabbatical. That's yeah. what the COVID is, is a forced sabbatical. And he's, he retrained your mind so that then, yes. so that you grew up, actually you've matured in your wisdom so that now I doubt that you have to have five people coincide in the decision, you know, but that, yeah. that was a good thing then. And I think yeah. women, women in particular can put ourselves down and say, well, I think that I am strong enough, number one, so we don't ask for help, or I feel badly that I'm so stupid. And it's ridiculous mm-hmm. that we feel that way. And yet that keeps people in an abusive relationship, whether it's with a boss or even with a a grown child that's treating their mother terribly, where you have to really cut it off so that you retrain your mind and your soul. Did you want to add anything to that? I, um, I love that you brought that up because when one of the questions that you gave me ahead of time was, what did you have to overcome? What were the obstacles? That was the first thing that came to my mind was the way I thought the, the way I believed, Hmm. um, I had to renew my mind. And so, you know, I think the most valuable currency that we're given is time. And what I did with my time during those years of single, single motherhood produced a harvest that I'm still reaping because I, I was so careful with where my time went. You know, I voraciously read books. I was in my Bible, I would spend hours in worship. You know, if I was at the kitchen sink doing dishes, I either had a podcast or an audio book or worship. I was always feeding my spirit and working intentionally to renew my mind because I knew that I was, I had not, I was not healthy and I knew I didn't have peace. And I also knew enough to know that peace is a promise that we're given. It says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy and the Holy Spirit. And so I'm thinking, if I don't have these things, there's a gap. How do I fill that gap? What what can I do? What's my responsibility? And, you know, scripture says, renew your mind. That's Mm -hmm. our responsibility. And I think sometimes we put, that's one of those things we put on God. Help me think better. No, you renew your mind, he says. So I, and in that season kind of took the bull by the horns and said, I'm going to do what I have to do to heal my heart. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do what I have to do to renew my mind. And I want to think, I want to, I have the mind of Christ. That's part of my inheritance. Mm-hmm. How do I activate that? How do I tap into, so that my thoughts are actually in line with heaven. So it's that kind of, I think. Yeah. It's like truth. We, we have truth, mm-hmm. but to tap into it, it's like to plug it in. Yes, that's what you're doing. And I'm thinking how many women in your same boat, because I'm sorry that it's such a rampant thing where Mm -hmm. women are in hard relationships or abusive relationships, but how many women would instead say, well, I'm the victim, therefore someone needs to come and rescue me. But you chose not to rescue yourself, but for you to do all that you could. It's kind of like the verse Mm -hmm. where it says, as far as it depends on you to be at peace with all people, as far as it depends on us to walk in the Holy Spirit to plug into his peace, to worship, to do whatever yeah. we can. Wow, this is convicting even to me that I would think that I'm wasting my time <laughs> with certain things and wow. I want to, because time is, is such a legacy, it's such a gift mm-hmm. from God. Um, yeah. 
Uh, that kind of reminds me of what you said earlier before we started recording about how um, I asked you how you met your second husband. I want you to tell that story, but you were that woman on the boat looking for rescue. Tell that little parable. <laughs> tell that little parable because yeah. I think that has something to do with a victim's mentality too. It does. It does. It's funny because who I was, you know, several years ago and who I am now, it's almost unrecognizable. Um, and I'm very thankful for that. But uh, yes, I was like the woman who was in a boat stranded in the middle of the ocean who said, God is going to rescue me. And a boat came by and there were people that said, hey, come get on the boat. We're here to rescue. Nope, God's going to rescue me. And then the airplane came. Nope, God's going to rescue me. Then the helicopter came. And at the end, <laughs> this woman drowns and she gets to heaven and says God that you said you were going to rescue me and he said I sent three crews <laughs> to rescue you and you yeah. sent them all away yeah, yeah. um wow. so that's kind of how I was in my singleness part of it I think was wisdom I do and um I was I was very unwilling to go backwards I had paid a price for peace in my home and joy in my home and I was seeing my daughters thrive I was seeing myself come alive and I just did not want to go backwards mm-hmm. um and I was very busy <laughs> you so know you're thinking, I was very busy. terms of how you would start dating again that's what you're yes about. so okay. so when I had friends that were saying you should try online dating I said, no, God's going to send me a husband, you know, just a like a on the boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be, you know, another way besides that. And, um, he just kept not coming. And I didn't tell you this part of the story, but it's worth telling. Um, I was at a conference and uh, during worship at this conference, um, it was, I had already, so I had, let me back up. I agreed to my, with my friend. I said, I'll try this online dating for 30 days. And I know it's going to be silly and ridiculous. And when I'm right, you can apologize at the end of the 30 days. There and I'll we move go. On with my there life. we go. <laughs> so at the, towards the end of that 30 days, and it had been just as I anticipated it would be, um, I was at this conference and um, I was really getting a little bit heart sick <laughs> hope deferred makes the heart sick mm-hmm. um I was starting to feel a little heart sick and I I I went to the altar to pray and um I said Lord if this desire to be married again isn't from you I need you to take it because I'm starting to lose hope because this was my last resort <laughs> and it's not looking good so um if you don't want me to have a husband, if you want me to be single, I'll serve you with my whole heart for the rest of my life. Just please take this desire away because if it's not from you, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. And I wept at that altar. <laughs> um, I did. I stayed there. I stayed down for a minute. And um, when I got up and headed back to my seat, um, a few of my girlfriends that were there with me, of course, they're seeing the tears and mascara and all the things and Elizabeth, are you okay? And I told him, I said, I, I just surrendered the desire to be a wife again. And I really meant it. And 
of course, everyone knew my desire. I've always wanted to have a big family and lots of children. I used to always say I want 10 kids. Now that I have seven, I don't know about three more. <laughs> but um, it was a big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they they said, oh, my goodness. And on the way back to the seat, this it sounds, it's a crazy story. This woman who I did not know um, from, a, you know, she was probably 20 or 30 feet away from across this huge stadium said, you come here. Hmm. And I'm looking all around me like, is she actually talking to me? And she was. And so I walked over to her and my friends, I had witnesses. Um, I said, do I know you? And she said, no, you don't. She said, but I need to pray for you. Hmm. And I said, she can probably just tell. (laughs) With all, you know, my face was such a mess. I thought she probably just feels sorry for me. And the next question that came out of her mouth, it was, I'll never forget this moment for the rest of my life. She said, do you want a husband? Oh my goodness. That was what she said to me. Um, and you know, I'm in my early thirties. So I'm thinking, how does she know I don't have one? I look mm-hmm. like I would be the age to have a husband. Um, she said, do you want a husband? And I, I mean, I looked around at my friends and they're looking at me and we're all just incomplete. You know, what is happening? <laughs> And I didn't know what the right answer was. I said, well, I think I just said, I, I'm okay if I don't, but I, I think I actually still do. I don't know what to say, but what came out of my mouth was, yes, yes, I do. And she put her little finger on my chest, you know, right, you know, kind of like right on my heart. She said, the Lord wants me to tell you that he wants a husband for you more than you want one for yourself. And he will bring you just the right man at just the right time. You can trust him. Wow. And I thought I had cried before. Yeah, right. (laughs) We all were just, you know, and so she prayed for me. And I felt the presence of the Lord so strong on me in that moment. And I believed and I knew. And I think that God in his kindness knew that I needed that for what was to come because the very next day I got an email from a man named David (laughs) and that's that David is now my husband you know Mm -hmm. it was um and so through that process of getting to know David and hearing his testimony and some of the things he'd walked through in his first marriage and all of that I think the Lord knew I needed that sign at the beginning that assurance that this is the one I've picked and sent for you. Mm. Um, and it's carried me through, you know, you, like you said, before we got started marriage, even with a really good man and with a right person is still a fight. <laughs> it's still this process of purification. That's quite unlike anything else you ever Quite unlike through. anything else that mm-hmm. and have, that and having children. Um, homeschooling seven or me just having, you know, three adult children that I have no control over. I like to tell mother, I speak to mops groups and I, I, I don't want to discourage them by saying, you think it's hard now, but you really can put them to bed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Elizabeth, this has been such a treat and I know an encouragement to my listeners and people will share this. I'm sure with many of their friends, there's just so much here. I'm, I'm not sure how to summarize it, but is there any wisdom that you wrote down or you thought about that we haven't had given you a chance to share as yet? Um, 
I think the only thing that I would add would be, um, you know, you said, um, you know, how would I pass legacy down to the people that I love? How would I encourage others to do that? And what I have found is that living my fullest life, just becoming Elizabeth. <laughs> who is Elizabeth and who is she supposed to be? Mm-hmm. As I become more like Jesus and become the fullness of who he made me to be, um, the light that comes from that, from allowing yourself to dream with God and to step into your destiny, um, your children want to follow you and be near you. Other moms and other women are drawn and and there's not any, you know, I don't have to look or ask people, can I pour into your life? It's this natural, you know, I think it happened with Jesus. When you're living in the fullness of who God's created you to be, um, the legacy is just kind of a byproduct and people will come and without even knowing it, you living to the fullness of who you're called to be invites them to do the same. Mm. And so so if we could all just live in this place of intimacy with Jesus and allow, allow him to really invite us into that journey of who am I? What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to love? You know, living your life like it is an adventure and it's just the most fun way to live. And then people want to come alongside you and join you. And it's, um, I think that legacy of freedom and joy is, um, I hope, what I'm remembered most for by my children and and the moms that I get to mentor and do life with. Um, Play up that last word, because I was going to have you go back to it, the word that you and David, your husband, came uh, to at the same time, which is the word freedom. How do you see the legacy of freedom being um, in having intimacy with Jesus and living the life that he called you to be. How does that relate? Mm. That's a really great, great question. Um, I like questions. I know. They're good <laughs> ones. How does freedom relate to intimacy? Intimacy with Jesus. And you were just calling us to be, you know, we live in the light with Christ. Mm-hmm. And then we live in the fullness of who he's made us. What does that have to do with mm-hmm. freedom? Relate mm-hmm. those two. Okay. Um, when you're activated into the fullness of your identity, when you give yourself permission to let Christ in you, the hope of glory, bubble up and out, um, when you realize that everything that he paid for that we have access to in heaven is actually available to us even now, all the things that operate in heaven are part of our inheritance. We're already in eternity. And so freedom is knowing I'm a daughter of the most high God. And so it's his desire. It's his joy to lavish good things in my life. And I have the responsibility to put his goodness on display. So what does freedom look like? Freedom looks like in every area, emotionally, mentally, financially, relationally, in every area, there's abundance. 
in every area there's tangible goodness that points to a good and loving father that wants to lavish his love on on you and you and you and you and all the all the people um and so for me it's it's looking at all those places and living like I have all of heaven's resources at my fingertips because I do and then um extending the invitation for others to step into that with me you know I think for a long time I thought it was holy to be poor (laughs) like it was this you know like I was a martyr because I you know poor me I'm a single mom on food stamps but I'm doing the best I can and I was at that time for for what I knew I was doing the best I could and now I know more (laughs) and now I know that wealth doesn't necessarily mean trinkets and treasures and fancy cars wealth means choices and the ability to be as generous as I want to be and the permission to never have to say no to God because I can't afford to do something or to go on an assignment or to give to someone who needs something Mm -hmm. it's um I could talk about freedom all day but um I'm really passionate about that now because I've seen with increase and it's about stewardship you know it's not having more so I can keep more it's having more being trusted with more so I can give more Mm -hmm. um I love it. I love it. This has been wonderful. If uh, people want to connect with you either for some coaching or some just to chat, what's the best way to reach you? That's a great question too. Um, Well, my website is thejoyfulmama.com. Oh, great. So you can always um, visit there. I probably have some updating I need to do um, with that, but I'm most often on Facebook. So if you look up Elizabeth Ashwald on Facebook, um, I do have a, a writer profile, a public profile, as well as just my friend, you know, personal profile. Okay. Um, so you can spell always send Ash- me a message spell, in there. Spell your last name so they can look you up. Sure. It's O-S-C-H-W-A-L-D. Okay. Elizabeth, you've been a delight and an encouragement and uh, more than an encouragement, I would say an inspiration and exhortation to all of us to live in the freedom that Christ has so bountifully blessed us. So thank you so much. Thank you. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.